When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We've got another replay for you and today we're looking back at our reaction on draft weekend. So we recorded this on Sunday night after the draft and we reacted to all things that the Browns did. So it's me, it's Mary Kay Cabot, it's Doug Marie, Scott Patsko and Ellis Williams, our full post-draft roundtable, our reaction to everything the Browns did that week. Okay, training camp is coming up fast. Check out Football Insider. Become a subscriber now. You get a daily newsletter delivered straight to your inbox. You get texts. You also get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. Now's the time. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our replay of our draft reaction on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Okay, I want everybody's favorite pick of the weekend. Mary Kay, you go first. Well, you know, I mean, this is probably so obvious, and I'm sure most people would, uh, or a lot of people would probably talk about uh, Jeremiah, the second round pick that they were able to get with the uh, number 52 overall pick, trading up seven rounds, seven spots with the Panthers, and only having to move back from 89 to 113 in, in an effort to do that. I knew that he was on their radar heading in and that they really liked him and that they would have been happy with him in the first round. So I think, I think that was just a a phenomenal pick and you heard everybody talk about it throughout the weekend. So uh, again, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, I I just really like everything about the pick a little bit before the draft mentioned that I thought they should trade up to get him, even though they're trade up averse. And we thought that they were also perhaps maybe linebacker averse. They went ahead and did it. And I think it's going to turn out to be a really great move for them. Did anybody else have JOK as their favorite pick? I did. Yeah. I mean, you're getting a guy, like you said, in the first round, uh, everybody thought was going to go even before the Browns picked in the first round uh, and you get him in the second round. So there's just value in that right away. And he brings a bunch of skills all wrapped up in one package at linebacker that you didn't have in one person last season. So there's also that, I mean, the odds are against him being coming in and being an impact player just because he's a linebacker. But if you look at the linebacker death chart for the Browns, it's clear that he's going to get every opportunity to get significant snaps. It's just, you know, it's up to him to, to do something good with that opportunity. And when he does get on the field to, to have that impact. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite pick too. Just that uh, I like the idea that, People thought he fell because the rest of the league didn't know what to do with him. And the Browns were like, we know what to do with him. We'll, we'll take him. And I like what they said about that when he's on the field from a personnel, personnel standpoint, it's not going to, it's going to let the offense be a little confused about exactly maybe what the Browns are going to line up and what they're going to try to do defensively. And I think when you have one player whose versatility allows you to sort of keep the offense off balance, I think they're going to use him in interesting ways. And again, I think we talk about this a lot. I, Andrew Barry, I guess it's become like a running joke, right? That the Browns don't like linebackers. Like he's not a linebacker. 
Like he is a linebacker, but he's more than a linebacker, but he's not exactly a linebacker. Like, like he's a special guy, which is why, and I know they got a guy, I guess, kind of like him in the fifth round, but he made sense. Like a linebacker in the second round for them, maybe one that made sense, but he with his skill set, made total sense. Okay. So let, first of all, let me, let me say this. I love the pick. I love the way he fits in this defense but I also want to have a discussion about him. So I'm, I just want to throw this out there. Why was he there at 52? Because everybody said this guy's going in the first round and everybody passed on him in the first round, including the Browns. So why was he there at 52? Is that a concern or is it just, Hey, good job. He happened to fall to the Browns. Why, why do we think he, he landed so late on day two when this guy was I mean, I'm listening to other podcasts where they're saying I had this guy ranked ninth on my big board, 10th on, I mean, like, and he was there at 52. Well, it does deserve some digging around and some hunting and to try to figure out just exactly uh, what other teams, what other evaluators thought of him and why perhaps he did fall. I mean, it it is very puzzling because again, like a, a Daniel Jeremiah had him number 15 on his big board. I think PFF had him as a top 20 player on their big board. Uh, so it really was quite puzzling. He did not run a 40 because I think he was a little, a little tiny bit banged up. So really not sure what that was all about, but I am anxious to sort of try to figure that out, but it might just be super scheme fit. I mean, it just might be that. And I do think uh, as Doug mentioned that, that the fact that he is a hybrid player was the whole entire key here. I actually wrote that heading into the draft and how to knock it out of the park or how to win the draft that they needed to get a hybrid linebacker in the first or second round. That was one of the keys to this whole entire draft for them because you just cannot ignore the middle of the field. You you just can't in today's game. And we all saw what happened in the Kansas City game. So I think he's going to come in handy there. And I actually think Tony Fields will also come in handy in the same way. He was kind of a clone of his, but as far as why he fell to number 52, it is somewhat puzzling. Ellis, we haven't gotten to hear from you yet. So, so I want to get your thoughts before, I, uh, before anybody else jumps in here. Yeah. I've been thinking about this all afternoon. So if you give me like two minutes, I can flush <laughs> this out. So like 15 minutes before the pick of JOK, I <clears throat> retweeted something from ESPN new ESPN draft analyst, Matt Miller. And I'll just read the tweet verbatim because it answers the question. Why is JOK still on the board? Question mark. I reached out to a few scouts here. The replies, all these are different scouts and quotes. Scheme fit is really hard. No linebacker coaches at his pro day. Thought that was interesting. He's 214 pounds, mental lapses, not fast. I don't know if I agree with that when watching the tape. Tape is fun, doesn't translate. Then when you go look at the draft, there's certain so when you hear that build that that draft profile you then have to you it eliminates like 20 teams that would select this kid because he has to fit a certain scheme right so then I look through the first or probably more than that once you see this list so then I look through the second round and I, I ID teams that I think would have been a really good fit for him like just a, a plug and play type player guy teams that are attracted to safeties like this I think the Los Angeles Rams though they were not picking in time to get JOK uh, the Broncos picked 35th, which clearly would have been a little high, even though depending on what board you're looking at, like if you're looking at the public's board, then that would have been a fine time to p- pick them. Clearly the league had a different board for this young man. Uh, they took a running back. That might be questionable, but then all these other ones made sense. 
the Bears at 39 take uh, Jenkins a, a tackle. The Chargers, another two high safety, multiple safety type team, take Asante Samuel Jr. The Giants take Aziz Olujulari, who there's another safety team with Patrick Graham. And then the Washington football team takes Cosme a tackle because they took Jamin Davis at 19 in the first round. So they already went defense and the Browns trade up. So the point I'm trying to get to is that I think the Browns, and this isn't, I don't think this is a, a hot view by any means. They just got lucky with how the board fell with a team like the Chargers easily could grab JOK, but a prospect like Asante Samuel at a higher knee at corner is available. So they grab him and then having Aziz fall due to a, a degenerate knee condition that's unexpected some really late news coming out of the draft so then they grab him and then the Washington had already gone defense so I think a lot of things fell the right way for teams that would have had him high like the Browns that decide to pass on him and then it allows the Browns to slide in so that's a long way of saying that this is a guy who is really going to need a specific scheme fit and great coaching to unlock his potential but he landed in one of the probably, as I listed, five spots that I think that can happen in. Let's remember that it's not like linebackers were flying off the board either. I mean, Zayvon Collins and Micah Parsons, I don't think either one of them was a surprise to go ahead of him necessarily. And then I think Jamie Davis is probably the, the one that maybe raised eyebrows going to Washington. But then that was it. And then you have to go all the way to, to JOK. And there were only two safeties that came off the board before him, which is – like we were saying, the other spot that he could have been, you know, looked at uh, for in the NFL. So it's, I think Ellis is right. It's kind of the way things fell. And, but it's not like there was a run on his position and he just got pushed down by a bunch of guys jumping him on big boards. I do think you're at the point with the Browns, right? When your team does something unusual, right? Or where they do something and it like raises the questions. Does it mean your team is smarter than everybody or dumber than everybody? But why should we? So it's like, I mean, Mary Kay makes a good point. Yeah, Mary Kay's going to poke around and see what you think. But like maybe everybody else is just dumber than the Browns. And it's like, why did he fall? Because everybody else is dumb. Not that they're dumb, right? I mean, it's like the Raiders keep taking guys that doesn't, they don't match anybody's board. I think that's because the Raiders are dumb. I, I think maybe like, okay, well, this is like everybody else missing and the Browns taking advantage of it. Yeah. And, and, and to Doug's point, the three of those defensive coordinators that I mentioned on that list, uh, the Broncos will head coach, but defensive play caller, Vic Fangio, uh, Chargers, Brandon Staley, and then the Giants, Patrick Graham, who I think will be a head coach very soon. Those are all some of the, the smartest, brightest defensive minds in this league. I want to ask you guys, cause you of course covered this young man, any shades of drill Jabril preppers here or just some uh, thoughts that that may be a, a, in a way a, a mold that seeing peppers not work in Cleveland take a little bit to work in New York and now Patrick Graham has him now and he had a really good season is there any resemblance of this pick and peppers or in, in, are they two different guys just considering what they came out what they were doing at the college level I think they're different guys. Okay. I, I think Peppers was – it's hard to judge Peppers here because the Browns drafted him, and this is the thing that's not going to happen with JOK. He's going to be put in a position to be successful, even if right. it's just like spot duty, like, hey, we need you on these three plays, and then we'll see you again in a couple quarters. We need you – whatever. They brought Jabril Peppers in, and they played him as the deep safety 
which is where Demarius Randall, that's why they brought in Demarius Randall finally to play that spot. Peppers was at his best here when he was playing more in the box. He's not a free safety. He's, he is sort of a hybrid player now, but you know, he's not what he was at Michigan. He's, he's a strong safety and he needs to be able to, to rush the passer. He needs to be able to do multiple things. And Greg Williams made him his deep safety. Now he didn't have really many other options, but it just wasn't a good fit for Jabril in his rookie year. And then he sort of improved in his second year. And then of course, enough that Dave Gettleman thought he was worth including in the Odell trade. Go ahead, Mary Kane. You know, those are all really, really great points, Dan. And I agree with you. And the other thing to remember, I think throughout this process, as we evaluate this draft and even last year's draft from this regime is the truth of the matter is that we don't really know yet. We don't really know yet how these two drafts are going to play out in the long run. Uh, you, you know, even last year, there are certain guys that are going to have to really step up their game and grow into the pick and the round that they were taken in. They need that to happen. So what we don't know yet with Jeremiah or JOK or Wu or we, whatever we want to call him, <laughs> well, we don't know if they're smarter than everybody else and he's going to work out and he's going to be amazing or if they took a risk on what they thought was a scheme fit and he really doesn't work out and become uh, the first round pick that they felt he was worth. So the truth is with him and with everybody else in, in this draft uh, in particular, we have no idea how this draft is going to work out. We just don't. And there is a right. difference though, between how the guy works out and whether the pick was smart or not. Right. I think the pick was smart. Now he might not work, but to get the guy, I, at 52 that you as a franchise were considering in the first round and that a lot of draft analysts and listen let's be honest I think sometimes the like the the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world and guys like that I think they're smarter than people in NFL front offices sometimes I mean so it's not like to be like oh well it's just analysts like what are you talking about Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler and guys like that spend their life doing this stuff why do we think some guy in a, in a front office is automatically smarter so, like, I guess I think I would argue that the pick is good. Now, to your point, okay, of course we don't know. But I, I don't know that we're going to look back, even if he bombs, I don't know that we would look back and be like, wow, what a colossal mistake of the pick. What were they thinking? Because we know exactly what they were thinking, right? He's a scheme fit for their defensive coordinator. He's a guy that was evaluated as a, as a higher prospect by most people. And they went up and got him. So, of course, we don't know what the outcome of the player is. But I would argue, yeah, the pick's good. Yeah, yeah I, th I think the process. I think the process was really sound in going to get him, right? And we talked about like the Browns got a little lucky on this because the guy just kept falling, and then they re they got their opportunity to pounce on a player that they really wanted. And one other point on Peppers that I just want to reiterate: they drafted Jabril Peppers and completely misused him because they had nothing else on the roster. They just, they didn't have it. They were playing Ed Reynolds at deep safety. They just had nothing. That's not going to happen here. They're drafting guys that really fit what the defensive coordinator wants to do. So that's, that's a big piece of this too. Um, just really briefly. I just want to have a, a very, very, very short, uh, maybe rebuttal here. I do think what, I, what I'm trying to say here, and I think this is important to remember, Ozzie Newsom over time developed a track record. So you knew that his picks 
eventually were going to be, for the most part, they were going to be really good. There are, there are people that have a track record for drafting really well. And the players that they take, there are certain teams like the Steelers uh, generally, you know, they know how to draft for defense. And there's just, there are personnel departments. This personnel department, uh, they're extremely smart. We know that. They're smart people and they know how to manage the cap and they know how to manage picks and they know how to make trades and they know how to, how to do all of that. What we don't know for sure yet is if they're picking like Pro Bowl caliber players in the first couple of rounds. We don't know that about them yet. And that's what you're trying to kind of aim for in the first and second round. You kind of want to get Pro Bowl caliber players. And to a certain extent, even in the third round. So when we look back to last year's draft, they need Jordan Elliott. He's a third round pick. They need Jordan Elliott to step, really step up. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. We don't know. Jacob needs to step up. Jed needs to step up. And we don't know what Grant is yet. So I guess I'm just starting to say, yes, the strategy was good. But it, the strategy is not good if the player doesn't turn out to be good. It was, it was a miss if the player doesn't turn out to be a first or second round talent going forward. But then, I mean, we're discussing a second year front office. If like, if we're only going to go by, well, you don't know until we find out if the players are good, we can end the podcast. It's like, of course. No, I just, I mean, but we don't like, we, we have to wait five years. We know that. I think processes win though. Process wins. And I think their process led them to the player. And so I'm going to say, I think the pick is good. I don't know. Of course. That's the nature of the draft. But I mean, I don't want to not analyze them for 10 years until the Razi Newsom, right? No, I'm just saying that I think that we need to have the overarching view that this is a brand new operation and they are super smart. We know that. But we but they don't have that track record yet. Well, I mean, and but so, nobody, no second year front office in the league has a track record. I know. I'm just saying we can. We're, we're about that. we're about to go way off the rails into a whole process <laughs> for like, debate here. But we can. Ellis, Ellis, what, what was your favorite pick? Yeah, mine was cornerback Greg Newsom. I got an accurate one and then a selfish one. So I'll, I'll start with the accurate <laughs> one. Uh, the Greg Newsom pick, a lot like the JOK pick, again. If we, this isn't on the exercise, but like we were doing one word to describe the Browns draft, I would say lucky. And that is not an insult because like Mary Kay is saying, they are extremely smart and they had a great process. And that's the point. You have to do your due diligence first to then be declared lucky. You know, like lucky people, you, luck, the luckiest people in life tend to be usually the hardest working and people that per, are ready and prepared for the moment. Right. So I can call them lucky while respecting their 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 craft and their due diligence because that's exactly what happened. Two first round running backs and Alex Leatherwood going ahead of Greg Newsom makes the Browns lucky to be able to stay there and grab Greg Newsom at 26 at a premium position. Combine that with some stuff I've liked on his tape. Combine that with how I think his frame is really filling out at following from his tape to his pro day. I think he's put on a lot of mature adult man weight, if you will. He looks like a, a thick, thicker corner than he was a, more of a lengthy lean kid on, on his most recent tape. And then the cherry on top. And I know most of you guys were in on the call his, his presser on what, what would that have been Friday? Just a, a really impressive young man. 
you know, he's confident, he's smooth, he's, and he's, he's got this swag to him that is not cocky, but it's present, meaning he respectfully called out, you know, Larry Fitzgerald and saying, I'd love to play him, him being an OG, I'd love to line up against Larry or Julio Jones, that's always been the guy. And this is a, a, a kid who isn't even 20 yet, who's going to have to line up against Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry every day in training camp here in August. And he mentioned that too. I was really impressed with his presser. I like the tape and I like the athlete he's growing into. I have no idea if it's going to work. I think he'll get an opportunity early in the whole Northwestern thing and big 10 receivers. I got some, some worries about that, but I think eventually this young man finds a, a real nice role in the secondary and then there may be some star pot- potential because when you hear someone talk like that and, and you guys who have been, you know, covering athletes much longer than me can attest to it. When you hear a young man talk like that, they check all the intangible boxes and you, you tend to look, you can say something and not do another, but for now he hasn't proven his words to be inaccurate. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's going to put that work in, be the sponge, which really was a buzzword where you hear from all rookies. I feel like their agents probably tell them to say that. But for him to have that type of attitude coming in, I just was really impressed. Combine that with his size and his, his tape. I, I really like that pick. And then selfishly, I think the Demetric Felton pick is awesome. It's going to be cool to watch him develop. I don't think he has much of a role on the team early, but go watch his senior day highlights on YouTube. He runs all his reps at wide receiver, inside, outside. It's really cool to watch a guy who's going to play running back here run wider seat run routes like he's a slot wide receiver Felton was going to be mine uh you know because I, I figured somebody would grab Newsom, and I wanted to put Felton out there because I think that's exactly what you need to pick in that spot it was number 211 sixth round pick just a really intriguing guy right if he's Duke Johnson awesome great pick yeah. if he's Matthew Days and he's out of the league in two years okay whatever it was a sixth round pick a lot like Donovan Peoples-Jones Peoples-Jones, I think you already won with that pick. So I, I'm really intrigued by him. You, you go on Twitter and you see him run routes at the Senior Bowl and all of that. I know they're saying that he's a running back, and I, I believe them to an extent, but if they're going to get him on the field, I don't know that it's really going to be at running back. He, he might have to do some work out of the slot, but he was, he was a guy that I really liked. Okay, so this one is really hard. I was looking at guys, and I, I mean, we're really nitpicking for this one. I don't know who wants to go first here. Most questionable pick. I think it's the receiver in the third round. I know they like fast guys, but it seems like the, the, the thing on that guy is like, he's really fast. He's like a track guy. It's like, but is he a refined receiver? And I, I think we know they like fast guys, but you know, a guy like Tylen Wallace or a more like established complete receiver. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to argue against it, but you know, that's an, uh, an upside shot on a young fast guy who, who clearly is not as developed as a technician as a lot of guys I think that were still out there at receiver. Yeah, this might be the one round where we look back and look again, I need to stop preferencing this, but any round could be that because we don't know what's going to happen. But this has the feels like the one round that may have caught the Browns by surprise. If you look how it played out, uh, the Packers grab a receiver, Clemson's Rogers at 22. Uh, Nico Collins goes at 26, Patrick Jones, a defensive end from Pittsburgh goes at 27, then the Browns grab a receiver. And then I wonder if Patriots pick number 33, you know, five picks after Ronnie Perkins, an an end, if he becomes a guy, are we going to look back and be like, all right, well, maybe some of their guys got picked ahead of them. Then they 
grab they box themselves into needing a receiver so they grab Schwartz and then Ronnie Perkins ends up being a, a stud in New England that, that we're playing that what if game that's the point of the draft but to me to Doug's point that's the only one that's the questionable pick aside from the one that I wrote down because I did not have that same one but I, I do agree with the logic yeah receiver I, I thought about that too I I mean they wanted to add speed they went out and got the absolute fastest guy they could find <laughs> but you do wonder if maybe there was another receiver that gave you speed and came with more polish as an actual wide receiver but I, I wrote down Tony Fields too um I mean as a fifth rounder fine it could go either way but is an undersized linebacker. He, he is fast, but he's not someone who, according to, you know, scouts and, and analysts who is going to, he could end up getting the brunt of, of collisions with running backs and he doesn't bring great coverage skill. So if he does not become like a really good special teams player, you might not be left with a lot of other options there. I, I don't see him as somebody from what I read that they, they could move to a, uh, you know, a strong safety kind of position necessarily. So um, I guess that was the one that I kind of questioned a little bit, but I'm going to assume they know more about him than I do. Yeah, that that's the one I had. I, I can't figure that pick out either unless he just becomes a, a good, nice player. And I think this signals something Mary Kay's been all over. Like they're just completely remaking that linebacker room. Because to me, I, I mean, everywhere you look, he is just a, carbon copy in a lesser version of JOK yet they spend that high of a pick on him meaning you know he's got a great chance of making this roster so what does that mean for the guys behind him I, I think we know but that that was the most head-scratching pick to me when I saw Tony Fields and did some quick research I was like really okay all right this this tells you what you need to know about the linebacker room who'd you have Mary Kay you know I, I kind of struggled with this one because right. <laughs> I think every pick is intriguing in its own way. I mean, even when I look at Anthony Schwartz, I, I understand where they're going with this because, and we talked about this on one of our other pods. I think that when you have coaches that can develop players the way that the Browns coaches can, it makes me uh, feel a lot more confident about a guy who is a developmental project like an Anthony Schwartz, because you can't coach that kind of speed. All you have to do, if they, if they can get this guy to improve his hands and his route running, then you're going to have a dynamite package because all you have to do is put him out on that field and he has to be accounted for. And, and he, ha and he's going to be scary with that kind of speed. So because I have so much faith in the coach that Chad O'Shea is as receivers coach, I think that's a major reason why Donovan Peoples Jones looked as good as he did last year. I was so impressed with him. I was impressed with his field awareness, with his, you know, he, he knew where he was. He knew where his feet were. His routes were good. He was a smart, smart player, and he just looked very polished, right? I mean, he, he overachieved, I think, as a six-round pick. And that could be the same thing that happens with, with this guy, with Chad O'Shea. So I'm not too worried about him as a player because I, I think he's – I think he's – a really, really good de developmental project. I think he's got traits. I think he has a lot of traits that will translate to being good. So even though you kind of look at the, you know, the history a little bit and the reviews weren't good, you know, the, the reviews were not phenomenal on him. 
I st still think that could be one of those sleeper picks where you look at it later and go, oh my goodness, now I get what they're doing. And I think it's the same thing with, with James Hudson a little bit. You take a raw guy like that um, and you put him with Bill Callahan and some pretty tremendous things can happen. This coaching staff reminds me very much of the Bill Belichick staffs of the early 1990s. Great teachers, really, really good fundamentally sound coaches that can take players that other people couldn't do anything with and they can turn them into something. And so I, I don't have anybody on here where I look and go, well, geez, that was, that seemed kind of dumb. I mean, it's just not a, we've talked about this. So I, it's, it's a, such a smart, smart front office that, you know, on face value, when you look at the picks and you read about them and you study them and you watch their film, it's, it's going to look pretty good on paper at the outset. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we're just nitpicking here. Fields is the one guy that I just can't envision where he fits right now. I, that's, that's it. But I, I mean, I can't, I can't sit here and argue that, Oh, well, you shouldn't have taken that guy. I, I just, I can't like close my eyes and see exactly where he fits in this room. And listen, I don't know, maybe they're out on Jacob Phillips. Maybe they saw enough in that rookie year and, and they want to go a different direction there. I don't know. That seems a little bit of a reach, but you know, I just, I just don't know where he fits with Schwartz. And, and this goes back to the JOK discussion a little bit too. At worst, he's a guy that you know exactly what he's good at and you can put him out there for a handful of plays and say, go run really fast and Baker will find you. He just feels to me more like a compliment to what they have at receiver rather than a re future replacement to what they have at receiver. Like if Odell leaves, is he going to be starting X in 2022? Like a guy who's fast, but <laughs> it's like one of those things like as <laughs> if they can improve his hands and his route running, it's I mean, if they can improve the two things that receivers have to do. So I don't, that's the only thing where I just, again, there were more, I thought as someone said, there were more polished guys that maybe you thought, if that third round pick is, is trying to think to the future, I, I don't know if he'll be ready for a bigger role when there potentially might be an opportunity for him and they might just have to reinforce that receiver room down the line in, in a different way. Now, how many guys do we think in this class will make a significant impact in 2021? And I guess my baseline for this, so I'm, I'm not talking about like special teams, like guys that just play on special teams and become great special teamers. Sorry, Coach Prefer. I guess a Donovan Peoples-Jones baseline. Is that a good baseline? We think for like, no, Scott says no. Scott, which no. are the baseline? I mean, uh, I'm going to borrow an Andrew Berry phrase here. And uh, I think I would push back on the idea that <laughs> EPJ had a significant impact on this offense. He had 16 catches and we all remember two of them. He didn't get on the field until week four, and the Browns thought so much of that performance that he didn't get back on the field until OBJ got hurt a few weeks later. And then after that, he was then out of the offense until like week 13 when Hodge got hurt. So I don't know if he's – I know everybody's in love with DPJ this offseason. He's got like – he's the new Richard Higgins, but I think maybe Harrison Bryant might be a better baseline for something like this because Fair. he Fair. had solid starts and like more consistent playing time and maybe, you know – I don't know. I, DPJ is like, I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves uh, this offseason on that guy. But wait Scott, a minute, Scott, catches. Scott, the reason why they're 
loving him is because you wrote a whole story saying that he was one of the best receivers in the NFL. This is exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I just, I have too much power and influence. And I'm, <laughs> I apologize. I just, it gets unwieldy sometimes. Sorry. I do think the best content on this podcast is when Scott Patsko explains how the Browns hate their receivers. <laughs> It could be like a whole, yeah. it could be a whole spinoff series. Just every week, it's Scott telling us why the Browns hate a hate one of their own receivers. Doug, the, hate, I don't, the hate pod. I don't think you were on the the, the Friday night pod, uh, Scott. Well, I think it was a Thursday. It was late. Volunteered to uh, drive Richard to the airport after <laughs> after the the shorts pick, something like that. Was it late night? I, I'm trying to remember. But he's another he's another one of the best receivers in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. He is very efficient, but it's a very small sample size. That's what I'm saying. I, I All right. So so if we're going to use Harrison Bryant as the baseline, then of these players, how many do you think make a significant impact in 2021? So we have let's see how many. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks. So, I mean, Greg Newsome, right? We're all we're all planning on Greg Newsome. So after that, how many more do we add on top? I think one and a half more. I think Awusu Koromoa and I think Tommy Togiai as a rotational defensive tackle. I don't think it's impossible that if the Browns are in a divisional playoff game trying to stop the opposing offense with the game on the line, that Tommy Togiai is on the field. I don't think that's impossible. And I would expect Greg Newsom to be on the field. And I think there's a very good chance that Owusu Koromoa, at least in some package, would be part of that defense too. So I'll say two and a half. I, I agree. I think Newsom and JOK are the, the top two. JOK is going to get his opportunities. Anthony Schwartz, I think, is going to get a lot of opportunities. They wanted to get faster. He brings that. He's in the third round. It's not like they can sneak him onto the practice squad. He's going to be one of the top six receivers that they keep. And I don't think they're going to keep him in that spot and not try to use him. So I see him getting opportunities. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, Doug just told me how to pronounce his name, Togiai. Correct. <laughs> I, he might be looking at like 250 snaps on the defensive line, and they might be really good snaps, but they did bring in players at that spot. And they just got an undrafted free agent that they threw a huge signing bonus at. So it Mark. might be kind of crowded. But I think Newsom, JLK, and I would push Schwartz maybe as the, the third guy who could who could maybe see some significant time. You know, I, I really think that that JOK, because they would have been happy to get him at number 26, I think he's gonna start this year. I mean, I, I think he's gonna start. I, I really almost have no no doubt about that. That's they were already on the whiteboard drawing up packages for him. So he, we know he's going to have an impact. When, when you take a guy that high and you're so ecstatic that you got a second rounder that you had a first round grade on, he, he's going to be playing early and often and probably starting. And I agree, I agree with you guys that, that Tommy will be part of that ro tackle rotation. And by the way, I do think that there are a number of guys on this defense that are going to be really hard pressed to keep their jobs. And I said this on our insider I think one that you have to look at is weak side. I mean, I think you got to look at Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson's grade was 36.4 last year. He graded out at 94th uh, amongst linebackers uh, in, on PFF. So he's one that, you know, he, he's going to have to fight for that job. 
I'm not saying he's for sure going to lose it, but he's going to have to step up his game in a huge way. And I think there are other guys in that same category. And then Felton, I think that he will be the, you know, the third running back. I, I don't think he'll, he probably won't contribute in a big way. I think he'll get on the field, maybe, you know, return some kicks and, and serve as the third back. And they might, I mean, remember that this is a creative staff. They had things, they had packages in for Jojo Natson last year. Okay. So if you can do something unique and different, they're going to find a creative way to get you on the field, which is also why I think they, they're going to utilize Anthony Schwartz's speed somehow. You're right, Scott. You're right about that. They're going to find their spot. They're going to find their spots for him because if nothing else, you want the opposing defense to have to prepare for that speed throughout the week. You want them to have to worry about it and try to figure out how are we going to cover this guy down the field? Who are we going to put on him? You want them to have to think about that. So there will be a package in for Anthony Schwartz. That's a pretty high pick. Yeah, I, I think Schwartz is going to play a role. I, I, th I think Schwartz getting drafted is bad news for either Jojo Natson or Daryl Hodge. He's, he's going to push one of those two probably off the roster. That, that's a perfect segue, Dan. I think Schwartz is a fusion of Jojo Natson and Daryl Hodge. He is the those two football players put into one body. That's what Schwartz's game looks like to me. Quickly, I had three players down prior before we changed the baseline from DPJ to Harrison Bryant, which I think the snap count for Bryant, that makes a lot of sense. I had Felton as a third guy when it was a DPJ level, only because running backs get hurt. You could see Felton catching, you know, two red zone scores in a similar style DPJ did. And he's a fan favorite. He'll have that, you know, Swiss army knife hybrid stuff that everyone likes. And he'll, he'll to Mary Kay's point with the creative staff, he'll, he'll probably find a way to score a couple of times, but if it's Harrison Bryant pr production, then I'm with everybody else. It's two players. It's Greg Newsom and it's JOK. Do we think Schwartz will be what fifth in receiver snaps or higher than that? Will he play more than DPJ and Higgins? I, I think he, Oh man. When, Higgins. Yes. I'm a, He'll play more than Higgins. Possibly, yeah. We acted like when Rashard Higgins signed here that it was like the key to the Super Bowl run. Now, no, no, no. When I I asked you guys what were the chances of Rashard Higgins not being active Week One, and so I no, okay. Sorry, Ellis. <laughs> Thank you. I just want that to be clear. It's a I don't see him thing. getting more snaps he, than Higgins. But TPJ definitely. More. The, the fans are madly in love with David Njoku and Rashard Higgins and they, and somehow they have become larger than life. I mean, we turned Sheldon Richardson in this town into Aaron Donald. So, uh, you know, again, it's an element of speed. It gives you a different Avenue. It gives you something different to give a defense to think about. It's something you cannot coach and it matters and it matters in today's NFL. So yeah, it, they're getting them on the field. And we're about to see from the front office, guys they want to succeed too, like the guys who do get the opportunities that's what we're about to find out after having two drafts with andrew barry danny amendola was picked in the second round by the cardinals last year because he was like as fast as denzel ward and he raced him in high school and like i don't even think he did he catch a pass for the cardinals last year i just i'm a little skeptical about like he's super fast but he's not a very complete receiver and like in terms of like i, I guess I think he'll have less, less of an impact than Harrison Bryant because as much as they're going to be in 12 personnel, as much as Jarvis and Odell are going to be on the field, if they're healthy, you know, I, I just don't, I mean, Higgins made huge plays for them last year. This guy had 600 receiving yards in the sec. 
You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't know that I'm expecting. To, I know he's fast. I don't know if I'm expecting the same kind of instant impact. And Mac Wilson, by the way, is no better. This linebacker on this team. So it's like, yeah, there are guys losing jobs for sure. Doug, do you need, think, do you need Scott to remind you real quick what the Browns think of Richard <laughs> Higgins? Just. I, I was going to say, Schwartz is going to get his opportunities. He might not be somebody who has a huge impact over the course of the season, but I think he's going to get the opportunities that Herb Bryant got early on. That's what I'm trying to say before. I said, yeah, he might, uh, he, he's not going to probably take snaps away uh, maybe from Rashard Higgins as much as he's just going to be given opportunities to be out there without people being injured. I think they're going to play more three wides this year. I mean, you, you know, you play to your strengths, you play to what you have. And there's no way that you're going to have all these receivers, these good receivers on the team, and that you're not going to get them on the field in some way. So I think they were, they're going to mix up their personnel a lot more than they did last year. I've said this many, many times before. I'm going to say it again, very, very quickly. Kevin Stefanski had to run the Gary Kubiak offense last year. He had to, he didn't have time to shake it up. Didn't have time to change it up this off season. They're all bringing something new and different to the table. A lot more people will have input and you're not going to say, see the same offense in 2020. You can't, I mean, you just, you can't do that. You, you have to change it up uh, and, and give defenses something that they were not expecting in 2020. I said, Danny Amendola, I meant Andy Isabella, but right. I mean, who doesn't get those guys mixed up? <laughs> <laughs> Easy to do. The other thing too, is I, this is a, a fantastic coaching staff. We've raved about them and raved about them, but I don't think they're immune to what every coaching staff instantly falls in love with when you step on the practice field. And that's a guy that runs four, two, six. That's very easy to, to fall in love with. If there's a few practice reps or he just runs by everybody. So I, I would, that's, that's something to keep in mind as well. Okay. So rave reviews for this draft, but what's one thing you wish they would have done? I'll go first because we were kind of already talking about it and we don't need to unless anyone else anything anyone has anything more to say <clears throat> I this is a really big nitpick I, I guess I wish they would have planned more at receiver I don't think the draft really fell that way for them to do that unless they would have taken B Bateman over Newsom and then it there, we'd, there'd be this talk about corner and the whole draft probably literally would look completely different I will counter my own point by saying it's quite clear that this front office does not address a glaring need unless it has to, meaning if Odell's not on this roster next year, then they will just spend a first round pick on a receiver, most likely, much like they did with Jedrick Wills. Like, oh, we don't have a left tackle. All right, let's 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 find one in the first round. That's probably the game plan. But again, if I have to nitpick and answer the question, I would like to see a better plan at receiver, a better long-term plan at receiver. I was going to say, yeah, I had, that's the same thing I wrote down under this question too, is, is maybe find a, a receiver who's still fast, but has more uh, receiving ability and, and less, you know, rough edges than, than Schwartz in the third round. So I would have, they doubled up at linebacker, right, with fields. I would have actually preferred them double up at corner. So yeah, you take Greg Newsom and then you grab another corner. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, a guy that stuck out to me is Tay Gowan, who went in the sixth. He went after the Browns were done. But, I mean, they could have taken him with the, the LeCount pick. You know, we raved about the Felton pick, so I'm not going to give that pick up. But, and it doesn't have to be him specifically, but I would have thought about doubling up at corner to add a little more depth there. Cause then you got Greedy, you got Greg Newsome, 
You got one other guy that maybe can play inside and outside. You kind of cover yourself now so you can really leave Troy Hill against the slot. I, I think that's something that I would have liked to have seen him do. Wait a minute, Ellis. You wanted them to take a quarterback. That's I true. wanted them to take a quarterback too. Yeah. But I, yeah, I have a new a plan. I have a new plan for developmental quarterback behind Baker that I can well, talk about now. Let's yeah. hear it. I have a magic plan. I, I know what this is. Bring him home. Bring <laughs> Mitch home. He's with Buffalo. He is. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> can, they, can they trade like a second round? He'll pick be standing on the other sideline during the AFC championship. Why, why didn't he come here? He's from here. Doesn't that enough for a player to want to come home? Why didn't that happen? I forgot he was in Buffalo. He's backing up Josh Allen. Now yeah. I now I hate that whole thing. <laughs> I, I think I think a developmental quarterback in like the fourth or fifth round would have been a worthy shot right at like I don't know who, you know, Sam Ellinger went in the sixth round, I think, to the Colts. I'm not dying for oh, Sam they, Ellinger. They, they couldn't have taken they couldn't have taken Sam Ellinger though. That would not have that would have been like when the Packers took Jordan Love. They would have really made Baker angry. Garrett Gilbert went to Texas too. But they yeah, went but to, Baker, I mean, he and Baker went to the same high school. Is he mad at Baker, Garrett Gilbert? Am I wrong? Mary Kay Baker's had some things to say about Sam Ellinger. Oh yeah. They yeah, they they have a they have verbal warfare going on <laughs> on social media. Can I can I respond to the quarterback thing now that I've had 10 seconds to think about it? Again, yes, I I, I agree. I wrote about it. They should get a developmental quarterback. <clears throat> Again, it sounds like I'm ready to write the or 2022 draft prediction because I'm going to call predict what they're going to do you know 363 days from now but again Case Keenum's still on this roster so it's not a glaring need next year he clearly won't be with his contract situation unless it's a complete restructure point being they'll draft a developmental quarterback next year when it is a glaring issue right now it's not I, I wouldn't want my backup quarterback to be a rookie when you're trying to win the Super Bowl it's the only thing I think backup quarterback is so interesting Case Keenum's a perfect backup quarterback right now for this team, right? And then all those years in New England, you had like, oh, Brian Hoyer was your backup quarterback. And it just, it just worked. I think, I think with a backup quarterback, sometimes we can get caught up. And I do think you have to hedge a little bit, but we can get caught up in like, oh, can this guy come in and help us and win the AFC championship game? But I also think that backup quarterback is like another coach in a lot of organizations. If you look across the league and you see who backup quarterbacks are, I mean, AJ McCarron is still getting jobs and we just had a draft and AJ McCarron just got a backup quarterback job somewhere. So I, I think there's something backup quarterback is just weird. It's just a really weird position in the NFL. And I, I think there's going to come a point as Baker ages where he's maybe not going to need or want that support as much, but maybe we're, we're going to do this for a few years where it's Case Keenum now. And then it's, I don't know, some other random veteran for a couple of years. And you just kind of patch that together for a little while. Not for 7 million a year though. No, no, I don't think you, no, not for 7 million a year. Yeah. I think Trubisky's getting like 2.5 from the bills. I'd trade a second rounder for him. I would just do it right now. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think the Falcons even had a backup on their roster until the day before the draft. Too much time on backup quarterbacks. <laughs> We'd always like to talk about what we learned, right? So you can pick anyone you want in the organization, player, coach, owner, grounds crew, equipment guy, whatever. What did we learn about someone in this organization this weekend? Who's got a I'll good start. one? I'll start. Mary Kay? I learned that National Scout 
Charles Walls <laughs> is an absolute freaking quote machine. And he's really fun to talk to. And I think he's got star power written all over him. I think he is a rising star. And I think at some point uh, he, he's going to end up being maybe, maybe a general manager in the league. I'm all about Charles Walls after this weekend. Well, people are going to start rating this organization. So, yeah, I mean, these guys that were meeting on draft weekends that we used to meet and then we'd never hear from again, all of a sudden they become rising stars. And we, we talked to him about uh, Tony Fields was the guy that he came. Now, what the so people understand, and they might know this, but they brought down a lot of scouts. They brought down a lot of their personnel guys on the Zooms so that we could ask them questions, and they brought them after certain picks. So he came after the Tony Fields pick, and he was just really, really good. Uh, he, he was a, a tremendous quote. And one of the things uh, someone asked him uh, was about, you know, are you going to be stout enough against a more of a power offense with these smaller linebackers? And uh, in, in the context of answering that question, uh, he said something like, uh, we are, you know, we are going to be violent and explosive. That's who we're going to be. I mean, every, he was just so, you know, decisive and, and his answers just were so good. And, you know, we don't, I would have to say that, you know, Andrew and Kevin are very measured in their answers and they're smart enough to never stick their foot in their mouth. You know, they just always say the right thing, but they're very, very, very careful. And we don't get a lot of colorful quotes from those guys, right? I mean, you kind of get off of a Zoom with them and you're like, okay. But some of these other guys in the organization are phenomenal quotes. Charles is one of them. We need more of Charles. Let's just bring Charles out every week so we can talk to him. Um, and then, yeah, so that's my take. Yeah, can we, can we make him like a coordinator so that he has to talk every week somehow? Yes. Just give him some like coordinator job or something. Scott, yes. you had somebody. Yeah, I don't know if I, if I necessarily learned this, but I was led to believe that Andrew Barry puts more value in coverage than pass rush. Because remember, he told us back in early March, don't get zeroed in on edge defender, edge rusher. And he didn't go after the big ticket items in free agency at the spot. He kind of waited and, and tried to get a little more value with that. And then he didn't take any edge rushers in the draft. You know, he, he added a safety and a cornerback in free agency. Then he went out and added, what, two, two defensive backs and a linebacker who's really good in coverage in the draft. So I mean, the defensive line is going to improve for the fact that they're probably going to have a little more time to rush this year. And that's because of the, you know, what the people are doing in the secondary. I was surprised nobody said edge rusher was the thing they wish they would have picked. Well, like I we, never got we to give about, mine. Oh, you never got that, to give yours? Well, then we're going back. Because we went <laughs> to quarterback so button. much. We, talk, we talked about edge rusher acquisition a boatload this offseason, and they didn't draft any of them. That would have been mine. I would have. I would have drafted a developmental edge rusher somewhere. I mean, you know, earn your money, go, go find one somewhere, somewhere in the draft. Uh, maybe they'll sign one, a developmental one in free agency, but it's, it's hard to find those guys as undrafted rookies. But, um, but yeah, that's one thing I think I would have done. I would have added to that pile because I still think they need a couple more guys in that rotation. I think they have their developmental guy though. And, and that's sort of what I, this isn't mine, but I do want when we talk about that edge rusher thing, I just came away thinking like they're happy with Miles 
Clowney, Tack, Curtis Weaver. And they, they obviously weren't impressed with this edge class because there was just no desire for them to, to get any of these guys. I, I think I came away feeling like they're happy with their stable of edge rushers right now. And I think Curtis Weaver is one. I think you, you put him in that category of developmental edge rusher. That's a good point. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Somehow the Miami Dolphins, I mean, like I read stories about him when they waived him and they were like, yeah, they saw enough after like five training camp practices. We're done. <laughs> maybe it was that, or maybe it was, they really thought that they could get him back onto the team, sneak him through waivers and put him back on IR for the season. They might've just kind of messed up and then sort of had to spin it later. Right. And it, it could be that. I'm going to go with mine. I'm just going to throw this out there. How, how much do we see of Jimmy Haslam and J.W. Johnson? We never see D during the draft. We didn't see a whole lot of them. We saw Jimmy on a couple of those calls. We saw J.W. on one of those calls. And I know we talked to Jimmy and D before the draft, but that was just because the draft was in Cleveland. I, I feel like this weekend was another example of us learning that the Haslams are fully embracing taking a backseat here. And that goes with D and Jimmy and JW. It just, they continue to be really quiet. And they're letting Paul and Andrew and Kevin speak for the organization. And I think that's a big reason why this team is kind of, why things feel a lot more stable right now too. So I'm going to go with the Haslams. I think that's what we're continuing to learn about the Haslams. Because if I'm not mistaken, there have been draft weekends where they have certainly been front and center. I wrote when Hugh Jackson got fired, I wrote in October, 2018, the headline was Jimmy Haslam should leave for two years and finally give the Browns a chance to win. And it's the idea of like, just, uh, we get it. You own the team, but like you, we don't need to see you all the time. And I, to, Dan, I think you make a great point that it's, it is to their credit. Listen, they could have been walking around. Like they owned this draft. It was in Cleveland. They could have been. You think Jerry Jones has the has the draft been in Dallas? Was the draft in Dallas? It was, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I can't remember. No, not yet. If the draft was in Dallas, you think Jerry Jones? Jerry Jones would be like, "I'm not letting fans take picks. I'm making every pick myself." Like, they it was their chance to shine, and instead they let the franchise shine. They let the city shine. They let the front office shine, and they deserve credit for that. They absolutely do, because I don't know what for sure we knew what kind of owners that Jimmy and D Haslam would be when they got here. But right now they hired people that they trust and they're letting them do their job and they're not trying to bask in the glory. And I think that does need to be noted. Dan, that was a really good one. 2018, the draft was in Dallas. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I had forgotten about it, too. But yeah, 2018, it was in Dallas. Um, Ellis and Doug, we haven't gotten yours yet, right? Now I'm all freaked out because I skipped Mary Kay on that last one. So I know. I got to keep sure. track. So I'll go real quick. I do think, I think the Browns, I think I learned the Browns pay attention to recruiting ranking, rankings. And that it is, it is an interesting way to take shots on guys. Donovan Peoples-Jones, a sixth rounder last year, five-star recruit. Listen, I know this stuff because Ohio State was all over these guys. They were all over Donovan Peoples-Jones. He went to Michigan. He didn't develop like people thought he would. The Browns got him in the sixth round. Richard LeCount. I talked to Richard LeCount at an Ohio State football camp when he was in ninth grade. Like, 
He was a Georgia prospect. They were all over that guy. Ohio State was. They thought they were going to get that guy. He goes to Georgia. He's good. I know he has the motorcycle accident, but they get a guy in the fifth round who was a five-star recruit. Marvin Wilson, who's the guy that someone referenced earlier about this defensive tackle that they signed as an undrafted free agent. When Ohio State was finishing off the second best recruiting class in the country in 2017 that had Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins and Jeff Okuda and future stars like that, the guy they thought would be the cherry on top was Marvin Wilson. He was the number six overall recruit in the country. He went to Florida State. He was good, but he wasn't good enough to get drafted. But there's like that's these guys are elite athletes who who went to big time programs, but maybe. I mean, all those programs, Georgia, Florida State, and Michigan, they're not Bama, they're not Clemson, they're not Ohio State in terms of, you know, developing guys into stars. So the Browns are taking some smart, it's not even a risk, because there's no risk. It's sixth round, fifth round, undrafted. But bring them in your building, and Mary Kay, to your point, you trust your coaches, you say, listen, man, there was a time when four years ago, these guys were as good as anybody in their peer group. Let's get some of that back. It's I'm sure there are other teams that do it. It makes me want to look up, you know, five stars who went low in the draft and which teams take risks on them and who pays off. But it's clear they're valuing elite talent that maybe didn't develop as expected. So it's, it, it's funny that you bring that up because I, we talked to Colton Chapel, one of those guys that they, they rolled out. And he mentioned in his opening statement about LeCount that he was highly recruited. And so I asked him, like, is that something you guys take into account? So I looked up the answer and, and he said, I think it's just a small piece of the puzzle. The majority of the valuation and what you look at is the tape that he puts out year after year. It's really almost just like a starting point for us. So I do think it plays a role that, oh, this guy was highly recruited for a reason. Let's let's keep looking. I, that's oh. something that I hadn't really thought of. So that, that's a really good point. And that you bring that perspective to the table, Doug, from covering Ohio State all of these years. It's something that I hadn't really thought of in the, in the event, and, eval press. And real quick, I, and I, I was looking him up his background when I was, uh, after he was picked, it wasn't just that he was a highly recruited safety. He was like a highly recruited athlete. So I think Ohio State was like looking at him on offense at one point even. So, um, so yeah, it's not just somebody who, uh, he's, he's got potential. <laughs> he can he's somebody who they could maybe use in different different situations because he's obviously an elite athlete beyond just being a safety once again i have a selfish answer for this and an accurate one i'll start with the selfish one um i think we learned that aaron Rodgers is still mad about losing alex van pelt in green bay does anyone want to talk about the packers oh. or is my is my minnesota showing <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will digress. I just thought that news was crazy. I still can't get over it. It's all my friends keep talking about is what's going to happen with this Aaron Rodgers stuff. And in reading these reports, you know, the, the eighth paragraph in a story, you do see AVP's name come up just about, you know, one thing after another with the, those little slights to Rodgers. And I just think, you know, to bring it back to the Browns, because that's what we do here. Again, my Minnesota showing that says a lot about who Alex Van Pelt is as a coach and a developer. And I think Browns fans should find some happiness in that. My accurate answer. Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry have big 2021 plans and expectations for Odell Beckham Jr. All the, could he get traded? Could he get moved? Odell this, Odell that. Could they draft a receiver? None of it matters. They've got plans for Odell to be the number one guy. You know, 
perhaps maybe a 1,200-yard receiver. Throw. I mean, this has got to be it. This this is it. You know, if Odell, <clears throat> excuse me, if Odell and Baker don't put up the numbers that me and a large majority of others have both hoped and thought of when this combination first came together, what, two years ago at this time, was it our, maybe three years already when this trade was initially made, then it's never going to happen. And clearly based on really the whole weekend, the, how the draft played out and selections and trades, it all points to both Stefanski and Barry planning and expecting big things from Odell Beckham Jr. on the outside at wide receiver. So now we're going to wrap up. We're going to all take a victory lap on something and then we're going to have to own up on something. Mine are, mine are related. Okay. So I did my Greg Newsom victory lap on whatever night and like a million people had Greg Newsom going to the Browns. So whatever. But I got thinking, you know, so I, I log off our, we're doing the live podcast and I log off. And I start feeling myself a little. I'm like, all right. So they got Greg Newsom. I bet they could still get Peyton Turner in the second round. And I'm working and listening to Zooms and all this. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Peyton Turner is going to fall to 59 and they're going to grab him. And I'm just going to victory lap like crazy on a podcast for no good reason. But we all got to do victory laps. I come back on the pod. And thankfully, before I could say anything, Doug says, Dan, your guy went in the first round. Peyton Turner. We start talking about edge rushers. Big, big sleeper, Peyton Turner. And I was, yeah, I was like, I was, Mary Kay can tell you, I was beating that drum for a few months here. Tim, Tim Bielek can tell you, and he goes in the first round. I'm like, oh, this guy would be great at 59. Nope, first round pick. The Saints heard you. He tells him to shoot up the board. <laughs> I've gotten, I've gotten things way more wrong than that before, but, but that's specific to this draft. That's, that's what I got wrong. I'll go next quick. Minor short. Um, The thing I got right, and it's really what we all nailed. Uh, Doug wrote a a great piece on it this morning. Uh, The positions of the need. You know, you see what positions this roster needed, and Andrew Barry went and addressed them. It was really that simple. But again, it. And again, if you haven't read Doug's column, go check it out. But it's it gives all of us a. It should give us all some ammo as we continue to go forward with this uh, we can accurately look at a roster identify what it needs and then have that actually happen you know we whether you're on brown's twitter nfl twitter or doing this for a living uh, trust your gut trust your research and it, smart people tend to agree with you what i got wrong no first round trade down i'll i'll own that i thought that's how it would play out you know once leatherwood and two running backs go y- y- the need to trade down evaporates hadn't I did not think at all Greg Newsom would be there at 26 they had no reason to trade down but I got to own that it didn't happen the the thing that was best in the draft for me was that uh that I got Kevin Stefanski to say of Andrew Barry does this look like a wing it guy and we got the we got the screenshot of him with his thumb at Andrew Barry I just want to make a buddy comedy out of these guys now it's like a mild manager g a mild mannered gm a mild mannered head coach they're best friends. They're leading a team to a Super Bowl. You know, like it's, they just like, they look like they're actually like, they, they're actually friends. I just, I don't know if I want to hang out with them though, because I don't know if they just like sit around and play risk and stuff and like maybe drink <laughs> tea. I don't know. I'm not trying to like, but it, it is fun. It's fun when a team feels confident and like you can see that they're relaxed a little bit and stuff. So that was good. And my worst thing about the draft was that I came on this podcast and did not realize that Mitch Trubisky was now Buffalo Bill. <laughs> <laughs> my whole thing went up in flames on that. So anyway, 
we had, we had a photo of that, you know, the, what you're talking about there with, you know, the little, the little uh, thumbs up over to, to Andrew and just the way Andrew is looking over at Kevin, I was thinking, dang, I got to get somebody that looks at me like that. <laughs> All I could think was, can you imagine Sashi Brown looking at Hugh Jackson like that? Oh my <laughs> God. We went from the GM and coach who wanted to murder each other to best friends in like two, two and a half years. Yeah, that was, I was that was probably the loosest we've seen them though, which obviously tells you how they felt coming out of this weekend. Yeah, Mary Kay, I know what you got right, so we'll we'll let you go here. Well, first of all, heading into it, when I did my how to win the draft, I was pretty adamant. Uh, I went cornerback first, and then I said in the first or second round they need to get the hybrid linebacker, and I was really adamant about that. And then I also put running back in there. Uh, because I thought it was important to get a running back. So I was feeling pretty good about my uh, how to win the draft when that was all said and done. But then I, I just, I don't know, I just had a feeling about JOK. And so, I, you know, it took me all day to write the damn thing. But uh, I got it up before the, the second round started. And I said they should trade up to get him. Uh, which, again, it was a little bit of a, a risky thing to say because they don't trade up and they don't necessarily or haven't shown us traditionally uh, that they love taking linebackers, especially that high. So I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, that worked out. It, it was, it was fun to see that sort of happen like that. Um, as far as what I got wrong, you guys probably would know, help me out. I'm trying to think of, um, I mean, I know that we talked a lot about that. I, I probably thought that they would get an edge rusher somewhere in this draft. I, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily wrote it. I didn't even put, I didn't put that in the how to win the draft, but I know we talked about that a lot, but can you, th I mean, Dan, help me out. What else? <laughs> I was just trying to figure out what I got wrong. I, I don't remember <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> if you can't remember, then clearly you didn't get anything wrong. I think that's, I don't think I got, got anything go wrong. This reminds me of, <laughs> This reminds me of when I was in second grade and, um, and they asked us in religion class at St. Clement's uh, when we went to confession, what did we tell the priest? We had, we know they wanted us to go around the room and, and tell what, what we said. And I raised my hand or that came to me and I said, I said nothing. <laughs> I said, I had nothing to confess. <laughs> what I wanted to say was, for Christ's sake, I'm, I'm in second grade. What horrible <laughs> things could I have done? <laughs> so this sort of reminds me of that. I got nothing wrong. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, back to those of us that aren't, that aren't perfect, I guess. Scott? So I, I got a whole list here. And I'll start with what I got wrong because it's a shorter list. I, I had them taking an edge rusher in the third round. Clearly, they, they did not have edge rusher in their plans. Uh, but what I got right, I had them taking Asante Samuel, a corner in the first round. But the very first sentence of the explanation for that pick read, and I quote, this could be Grace Newsom the second of Northwestern, end quote. So I'm taking partial credit for that. Uh, I had them taking a wide receiver on day two. Um, I had them taking a day three running back who was described as elusive, which is kind of like what, you know, Felton Good. ended up being and i had them trading their seventh round pick wishful thinking that came true obviously oh i i had that one and i had them trading 89 too oh, oh. good 
So there we go. I'd say that Scott, that was a pretty good track record there. Yeah, Scott cleaned up. We got a whole lot of winners this weekend. Should we all head head to downtown Cleveland, hit Jacks up? I mean, <laughs> cash in on this. All right. Well, if we're gonna do that, we got to end the podcast. All right. So there we go. The brown, the wrap on the Browns' 2021 draft. But don't worry, we're gonna have the Orange and Brown Talk podcast still coming to you five days a week moving forward. And we're gonna do another roundtable. You know what we've got to do though is we got to do power rankings again sometime. Now that we've had the draft, some post-draft power rankings. Uh, we also have the schedule release coming. And last year, Ellis, Doug, and I drafted the schedule. Oh, yeah, was, we did. That was fun. That was a fun run. Fun one. Yeah. And somebody took the Jets game a little bit too high in that draft. <laughs> it was a loss. That was like a critical point in the season, as it turned out, Dan. You nailed that Jets pick. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for our Monday Orange and Brown Talk pod. Uh, make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber because if you aren't, you missed a whole bunch of stuff this weekend. So it's that blue banner at the top of the page. And then, of course, make sure at cleveland.com slash browns. And, of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen. So for Doug, Mary Kay, Scott, and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 